All right, social media family. Thank you once again for joining us for installment number 15, lesson 15 in the Grace, the Power of the Gospel series, a Karis Bible study hosted by Grace and Faith Fellowship. Now, the subtitle tonight is The Righteousness of God. The Righteousness of God. Now, you hear that word righteous. Now, some of us, we have different associations with that word. All right. So I will start tonight off with a question. All right. Just with if there, there are those who are not necessarily familiar with that word. All right. Righteousness. Is it a gift or is it a work? Is it a gift or is it a work? gift. Definitely a gift. Okay. All right. It's a gift. All right. So is that a consensus? Righteousness is a gift? Yes. Okay. All right. So let's go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 30. Looking at verses 30 and 31. All right, in Romans 9, verses 30 and 31, I'm going to read this in the, in the King James and in the New Living Translation. King James first reads like this. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Now, in the New Living Translation, it reads like this, it says, What does this all mean? Even though the Gentiles... We're not trying to follow God's standards. They were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. All right. Now, we look at these two verses. Now, we can see their righteousness in and of itself. Righteousness is something that the people of Israel were not able to get by their works, right? It was not something that they could attain because it says in verse 31, but the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. So if we could step back and say, okay, Righteousness means what? Right standing with God, right? Right standing with God. Now, to be in right standing, what, is, what, what does that mean? To be in right standing? That means to believe in the, the finished works of Jesus Christ, believe in what he did. On Calvary, that puts us in right standing with God. 
All right. All right. So Jesus is the one that, that does it. Okay. That puts us in right standing. All right. But just looking a little deeper, what does it mean, though, to be in right standing? Accepted in the beloved, as the scriptures say, or accepted in the family. Okay. Okay. I'd say, too, it has to do with we've, we've been made clean because it, it says that nothing that's unholy can uh, can come before God. Nothing that's evil can stay in the presence of God. So something's changed in us through that finished work so that now um, we're, we're clean in his eyes. We're, we're acceptable in his presence. Okay. That's good. That's good. So basically when Adam sinned, right? When he sinned, then that, that put, man in a place where they were in a place of separation right from god mm. all right because of what because of the sin now for us to be in right standing now means that we are in fellowship and relationship with him because the lord jesus has made it available to us he has remitted those sins. He has cleansed us from those sins, the sin that was a barrier in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. right? Now, I want us to go somewhere else. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. And I'm going to start at verse... Six. So remember, we're talking about righteousness. Right? So righteousness to be in right standing. All right. Before we read this, we these, these set of verses. Now, think about your your bank ledger, right? Your accounts. Now, to be in right standing with your credit balances, your loans with the bank. That means you are paying your debts on time, right? All right. right. So that means to be in right standing, you are. But if they'll, but if there's a debt that's outstanding that hasn't been paid, then you will be what? In debt. Yeah. In in debt. And not in good standing. Not in good standing, yeah. Right. Owe something. Mm -hmm. You owe something. Right. But we have a debt by way of Adam that we have no means to pay. <clears throat> but what did God do? He paid, paid it in full. He paid it in full for us. Put it all in his son. Yeah. He paid it in full. He paid it in full. And that's the part that we need to get, is that he paid it in full. Mm. It's not like he put our, our sin debt on Klarna and he's making payments every two weeks on our sin debt. He paid it in full. 
So we are counted as in right standing with God based on what he did once and for all. All right. So That's awesome. <laughs> let's, let's go to Galatians 3. Starting at verse 6. And it reads like this. So in the same way, Abraham believed God and, it, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Now pay attention to verses 10 and 11. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. In the King James verse 11 says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. So we see that Paul had a lot to say about this topic of righteousness, us being in right standing. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is that, you know, unless righteousness was a gift, it's something that we could never attain to because we could never do enough to earn it, to pay that debt. But God knew this. So he gave us a gift. It is so awesome to think about the fact that he planned all this before we were created, before anything was created. He already knew what he was going to have to do if man chose to disobey, which he already knew because he wasn't bound by time. Mm -hmm. So it, the concept that he actually chose us before he made us knowing that if he made us, this was the route that things were going to take is mind boggling. Right. Right. Now let me, let me put this out there. Okay. So this is, this is something we continue to talk about because it continues to come up. Right. So, if I'm saying that righteousness is a gift, then what impact then, what impact does my behavior have on my life and the life of others and on my eternity? Does my behavior matter? It, it matters when it comes to, well, I use it this way, it, 
it matter when it comes to horizontal relationships. In other words, you know, people who I come in contact with who, who see me on a daily basis, it matters to them because the Bible talks about we're supposed to be a light. And so if, if, you, if your behavior doesn't match up with who you're saying you are, then it's going to affect your horizontal. It doesn't affect your vertical relationship with God because he, if righteousness is a gift, okay, if it's given to you, then it's been given to you by God. You didn't do anything to earn it. And you can't earn a gift. It's just given to you. So therefore, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect your relationship with God, but it will affect your relationship with people that you come in contact with, you know, on a daily basis. But see, the thing about it, here's where we get in trouble. I think people can receive when you hear about God gave you righteousness as a gift, that's we're excited about that. We wonder that we can receive it. But when we go to church in some ministries and not saying all, we, what we hear from the pulpit is that you can lose it. Okay. And so my question is, I, I think I remember having this conversation with somebody that says, okay, if you didn't do anything to get your righteousness, then how are you going to do something to lose it? You see what I'm saying? So, or the only way we could stop being righteous is if Jesus stopped being righteous. And you have to ask that at what point does Jesus stop being righteous? He never stopped being righteous because that's just who he is. So I can never lose my God would never take my rights away because he gave it to me as a gift. But when I begin to believe who I am, then my behavior is going to change. You know, and I'm going to be able to, when people look at my lifestyle, they're going to be able to see I am who I say I am because I believe in what, that I've been given this gift of rights and that's my identity. So once I believe in my identity, I begin to walk in it. That's good. Um, <clears throat> um, thinking about your question, um, I, I guess I mean, as eternal beings, we're to look and think eternally and uh, not looking into things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. Um, so there are rewards and recompenses that we gain through our behavior while we're here on earth. Uh, we'll receive the and their eternal rewards. I think that's in Corinthians. It talks about it. And then um, Jesus, I know in one gospel, I believe it's Matthew, he says, um, you know, don't, don't we're to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven because the treasures that are on earth, you know, moths for us corrupt, and those things are corrupted. Mm -hmm. But when we're laying up treasures in heaven, which don't just negate things on earth, all together, but he's he's teaching us something, you know, was teaching them something when he was saying is the importance of the laying up treasures in heaven where nothing's gonna happen to them. It can't be stolen, can't be corrupted, corroded, and that kind of thing. Um and they're eternal. So yeah, and that was in reference to your question, uh Julius. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. 
the other the other thing I was thinking in the the vertical realm it it doesn't change God's view, but our behavior changes our relationship to him uh, not because it it makes us unrighteous but because oftentimes um we feel ourselves pulling away we we are turned around we're not looking at him and and the guilt of that comes in and and oftentimes we tend not to run back to him when when we're in that place so i'd say it, it actually does hurt the the vertical relationship though it doesn't alter it in terms of eternal value it's in the day by day that we are stinging ourselves really because God's there the whole time ready and willing and able and and has already given the gift it's completely a gift but we're not receiving the gift the way he's offering it and we lose out my thing, speaking to what you said, Mary, guilt doesn't come from God. It comes from religion. No, no I agree. Because, and that's one of the things we got to watch out. Because even when we mess up, that's what the enemy will use us to tell us, yeah, you're not right. Because look what you did. Exactly. And that's it right there. Is it makes us vulnerable to the enemy. Right. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. And it when when, when that comes, yeah, when that comes up, we got to, we got to, rebuke that we says no i am the right thing god even though i messed up even though i made a mistake that doesn't change my identity that doesn't change how god sees me you know and i have to push through that and say okay because that's what religion would bring religion bring on guilt and fear Mm -hmm. and those are the two things Mm -hmm. that religion use to keep us you know in i would say we talking about the rights of god versus they will keep you in self-righteousness, thinking you got to do something to keep it or do something to earn it. And so, therefore, when when those things come upon you, you got to say, okay, you know what? I know I messed up, but, you know, I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to be fearful that God going to get me. You know, I'm still the righteousness of God. I got to maintain my stance and who God says I am. And then my behavior is going to change. Yeah, that's really good. I, I I would agree with you on that one. All right. That's good. That's good. Okay. All right. So y'all said a lot. Y'all said a lot. So basically what I'm hearing is my behavior then is not going to have a, it's not going to discredit what Christ did for me in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not going to take away what I have in him but what sin will do is harden my heart and open me up to guilt condemnation, shame fear all of these are tools that the enemy will use to do what? to draw us away to draw us away from our intimacy with the Lord and step back in, in fear. All right. All right, now hold on. Let me see something. Uh, I just got another message from the, the religious skeptic. He's, he, he joined us. I didn't think he was going to join us today. 
<laughs> okay. Now, he wants he wants y'all to read a verse. He has a question like, okay, if if it's all about what Christ did, you don't have to do nothing. What do you think about Genesis 7? Genesis 7, verse 1. All right, so he's drawing our attention there. So let's go there. Genesis 7, verse 1. All right. In verse 1, in the King James... Genesis 1, 7 and, 7 and 1 says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou in all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. In the New Living Translation it says, When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Now, the religious skeptic, he says, well, if it's all about what Jesus did, why did Noah call him righteous? Well, why was Noah called righteous? It seems like Abraham to me. He believed God and God counted it as righteousness. Right. I agree with you. He was, he was right in his belief, not in his behavior. And when he followed through even in his behavior. Right. You know, right. It, it was it was a progressive belief. Yeah, and this will fall under, you know, I've heard you say many times, you was rightly dividing the word, mm -hmm. understanding the, what was the covenant that mm -hmm. God had with Noah at that time. That was the covenant, and then the then another covenant uh, with Abraham. He counted God, you know. Abraham believed God, and God counted that as righteousness. And again, all of this is before the law has transpired and the law was declared. Yeah, and that's the best way I can think of it. Okay, hold on. All right, he spent he sent some more mad face emojis. All these careless people always got an answer. Right? But you said something. It's right there. When we married, when you when you mentioned Abraham, there's a common denominator here. It wasn't necessarily their behavior. Mm. But it was what? It was the faith. It's the faith. It was faith that connected them with righteousness. But now, obviously, what did their faith produce? Yeah, it's a fruit. Yeah, it produced fruit, right? Yeah. yeah. It's the behavior. Right. So the faith is the root, and the works are. The fruit. fruit. Yeah, right. that's good. Right. Because all you got to do is keep reading Genesis and you see what, you know, what was going down with Noah. 
You know, he did he did wine a little too hard. <clears throat> but he was counted righteous in his generation because of his faith. All right, let's go to Romans four. Romans four. All right, we gonna start at verse three, and then we gonna go all the way down to thirteen. All right, and I'm gonna read this in the New Living Translation here. Romans four three to fourteen in the New Living Translation reads like this: For the Scriptures tell us. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the son that whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Verse 11, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was uncircumcised. 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on right relationship with God that comes by faith. Now you see how Paul is identifying circumcision. Right. He uses the phrase, it was a sign. A sign. So what, what is a sign? What is that? An outward indication. Okay. Good. 
outward indication. Good. Because the Strong's definition used that word, an indication, it's especially ceremonial or supernaturally. All right. And the Thayer's word it says a sign, a mark, a token. So the circumcision was a mark, token, or sign, right? But the circumcision in and of itself was not the vehicle that drove righteousness, that obtained it. It's just a mark. It's a sign. So can we not say the same thing about our works? Good works. Our obedience. It's a token. It's a sign. But it's not the vehicle by which we obtain that righteousness. It's just a mark that we are who God says we are. I have a question. Um, when circumcision is is it really talk, talking about that act of circumcision or is it mentioning it just saying representative of the law and I, the only reason I say that is mm -hmm. did circumcision come about during Abraham's time or did it come about when the law came okay. well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it straight from, strong, from uh, Strong's when it says Circumcision, it says the, the right, the, the condition, or the people literally or figuratively, all right? So it, it, in Thayer's definition, it says the act or writ of circumcision, all right, is a term used for the Jews, all right? Um, so basically, we're talking about specifically what I'm seeing here anyway is just talking about the the act, but you can see the connection between the act of circumcision and obedience to the law, right? Well, and the the act of circumcision came with Abraham, not with Moses, right? Right. Did. I, I didn't know it did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it came with him um, uh, when he when he received from the Lord the promises. In Genesis, I can't tell you which chapter. <laughs> I think it's around fifteen. Fifteen. Somewhere. 17. Somewhere in there. Yeah. I'm looking for yeah, something. it was 15. I'm looking for something. Hold on. Wait a minute. That was. Because I want to take us a couple places. Um. Yeah, it was actually 17. I think. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was 17. Genesis 
And that was when Abraham was 99. So it was right before Isaac was going to be coming into the picture. I see. Thank you. Good. Good. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's go to also in connection with this too. Colossians. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, and we'll start at, start at verse 10. I'll start at verse 9 in the New Living Translation. All right. So we're talking about like how Paul was referring to circumcision, the the act of circumcision, and the it being a mark of obedience. <coughs> But not being the means by which we are made righteous is just a sign or a mark <coughs> so let's look at Colossians 2 verse 9 through 13 uh, in the New Living Translation it reads like this it says for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Verse, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive of Christ for he forgave all your sins. Now you see verse 11. When Christ came, you were circumcised. In the New Living Translation, that certain the word circumcised is in parentheses. And then it says, but not by physical procedure. 
Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So we see, um, go ahead. Question, I don't know if you continue on. I can go with it though. Um, it was in 12. Baptism, that baptism, is that, are they using that symbolically for water baptism, or is that mean baptism as in, I guess, submerged into the body of Christ, included or added to the body of Christ? Well, let's look. Let's look at that. All right. In. Uh, no, you good. You good. Because in the King James it says, "Buried with him in baptism." All right. Now, obviously, now we get the picture of physical baptism where we are immersed in the water. All right. Let's look at the verse. It says, wherein also ye are raised with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Right. So based on what I'm reading in, in this verse, we're talking about the baptism into the body of Christ here. Right. But the, but what what does the water baptism symbolize? The same thing. It can I symbolize guess. that. Okay. Right. And what and what and we and when we talked about a sign, what is a sign? Is a mark. So when we get physically baptized, we go to you know we we're we're in front of a congregation or we're on the beach somewhere, and a disciple is getting baptized that is a sign to the world that this person has surrendered to the lordship of christ they are placing their faith in christ as their savior so did the physical act save them no <clears throat> but it's a sign of what is supposed to have happened spiritually on the inside Another strong circumcision. There we go. In verse 13, in the King James, it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So the surgical tool that's being used is our faith in what Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm 
right. Let's go back to Romans 9. <coughs> and we look at those last two verses. Romans 9, 32 and 33. Well, for context, I'll, I'll go back to 31. All right. And the New Living Translation says, but the people of Israel who try so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So here's a question. How can a gift be a stumbling block? How can a gift be a stumbling block? You trying to earn it. That's the only way a gift can be a stumbling block is when you're trying to earn what's been given to you. Somebody give you something for free and then you tell them, well, you know what, I, I want to pay you for it. Then it's, it's kind of an insult. It's an insult. Why are you giving me money for something that I want to do, just want to do for you because I love you? So it's, it's kind of an insult. Because I think that's what we struggle with. We struggle with, <clears throat> I mean, and I really, in studying this, is really um, how important it is to renew your mind. Because the thing is, we've been spending so much time telling people, you know, if you do this, then you're righteous. Or, you know, if you don't do this, you're not righteous. And so we spend a lot of energy telling people, you know, behavior, behavior, behavior. Yeah. Instead of telling them, believe, believe, believe. Mm -hmm. And so this is saying, hey, Israel stumbled over it because they were trying to do the right thing and they couldn't do it because they didn't, you know, just they, in order to be right for God with your behavior, you had to be perfect. And we know nobody could do that. But he goes on to say, this, but by keeping the law instead of trying to trust in him. And so it's here we see Paul putting on emphasis on trusting God versus trying to earn what he's given us. And so I said that's when we begin to become a stumbling block for when we're trying to earn what he's already given us for free.
Yeah, this is taking me back to First Corinthians one. All right. Well, let's let's go there. First Corinthians one. It's to piggyback on what um Eric just said. First Corinthians one. I'm gonna start at verse nineteen. Right. I'm gonna read this in the King James it says, For what is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish, foolish the wisdom of this world? For after all, that in the wisdom of God, the, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Mm-hmm. So in verse 23, don't you see two realms of opposition to the gospel Uh right unto the jews a stumbling block and unto the greek greeks foolishness so the religious man he can't accept the gospel because you can't tell me i can be made righteous by a gift just by believing it can't be that simple But I think when we tell people that, you know, it's hard for people who are religious and just, you know, focus on performance-based Christianity is because when we tell people, okay, just believe, then this is no way because they say, I think what they're saying, I, and I had this mindset too, that if you just tell people to believe God, then it's not going to do anything to behave it. Because a lot of people say, well, I believe in God, but that their behavior doesn't match up with their belief. And so if you tell people just believe God, then they're going to say, well, okay, I believe God. but And so they're going to continue to live a, you know, a unrighteous lifestyle. It's like, okay, but they're telling you, yeah, I do believe God. And I believe what Jesus Christ did, but yet their behavior don't change. And so you get a lot of pushback and you say well okay that's not enough because just because i think we've limited believing to just saying okay you know voicing and say okay i believe and that's just a small part of voicing it as we talked about earlier but when you really believe something then you're going to see the fruit of it you know so and that's why i say get back to when you really believe that you've been made right that it's a gift you're going to definitely see it show up in, in your behavior. But I think we don't want to tell people that because 
once again, we've I think we've said this before. Well, just tell a person believing now. Well, now you're just giving them a license to go out and sin and live any kind of way you want to. And that's not what we're saying. I think too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going back to that, that scripture and being specific and to the Jews, the stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. You know, Greeks, Gentiles, it's like, you know, I think you said that. It's just like, well, that, that just makes no sense. Um, and whereas they weren't present, presented the law, you know, a couple thousand years ago, more, really more. But the Jews, it was a stumbling block because they were presented these the law and these rules and regulations, and you hit a a group of them, you know, uh, scribes, Pharisees, who had gotten to the point they had been doing it so long, it seemed like they got to the point that they were actually trusting in that. And that's mm-hmm. where that became a, a true stumbling block for them. Because mm-hmm. I looked at, I've looked up that word where you was reading earlier, and I think it was, it was Romans 9 at 33, it says, confounded. You know, under the in the King James, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, "What do they mean by confound?" Look that word up, and it literally means annoyed by. It's a nuisance. Mm-hmm. So basically, that's kind of saying Christ was a. Uh, you telling me I gotta be really righteous by this man? It was a. It was kind of a nuisance to him. It was annoyed because. I don't need that, you know, <clears throat> that's that stumbling block because of that practice of, you know, the law, when the law was really written to basically shine that big spotlight on the fact that, you know, on our sin and the fact that we couldn't perform it perfectly anyway. I think the the next verse 24 to me is really helpful because um, it answers that. It says, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. So the opposite of the stumbling block is the power of God. And it's, it's like um, to the, to the Jew, the stumbling block is that it's weakness to just come and let somebody else take care of your problem. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and yeah, I did too. I hadn't seen it that way before. And then to to the Greeks, um, it's foolishness because they valued their mind so much, but to those who believe it's wisdom, you know, so I, but I really appreciated seeing that word power because it suddenly meant, oh, that's what they mean by the stumbling block is that it, it shows up our weakness. <clears throat> yeah, I like what it said about the Greeks. They said it's foolish to them because, like you said, I mean, I was thinking about this today. I says, you know, everything God, any institution that God established is perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. It don't need any fixing, but guess what? We try to fix it 
by coming up with all type of philosophy and things and saying, you know, okay, whatever well, anything that God established is perfect. It don't need to be touched by us. Just believe what he said. But then we try to come up with all type of, what's the word I want to use, formulas and, you know, things to say, okay, well, this is how it works. I mean, we say it all the time, just read what he said and believe it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So it God's whatever he established don't need to fix it. It don't need our help. We just need to trust in what he said. Yeah, and and what you're saying, Eric, I'm thinking about is like probably to most of us, you know, and I speak for me, maybe now that's for you. I'm around probably more Gentiles than Jews anyway. And so that makes so much sense. And that's the angle that we get it a lot. It's because right. we're around Gentiles probably 90% of the time, you know? And so they're coming at it from that angle. Like, that don't make sense. What about, you know, question, right. you know? And wow, you know, man, that's, that's very revelatory. Yeah, because I was like, I, said, I listen to stuff, you know, people, and I listen to things, and I read things, and people saying, you know, okay, well, okay. This was God's idea, but we'll say, okay, well, no, I don't need it. Or, well, let's switch it up. Let's change it because it really can't mean that I don't really need it. I'm saying, but if if God who made the heavens and earth and made everything, okay, why are we trying to fix his ideas, his, you know, institution? Why are we trying to change it up? All we got to do is leave it alone, just believe what he said and watch as we talk about see the fruit that come from us believing what they say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right, I'm, I'm going to read verse um, 23 again in the in the New Living Translation. It says, so when we, we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Right. Right. It's all nonsense. So you mean to tell me a God became a man and he died for my sin so I can have a right relationship with God and, and go to heaven? Come on, man. Are you serious? Because it's in opposition to what? To the world's wisdom. Yeah. And, and like you said, the Jews are offended. Right. Those who have a works law based mentality are offended. I mean, just think about it. All right. You think you you do you remember the parable where Jesus was um hiring the workers? Yeah. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> you had the guys, you know, they they started in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Then you had the guys that Started maybe three quarters of the way, then halfway, and then the guys that came right in, right at that last hour, right? And the master gave them all the same pay. Now, the dudes that's been working all day, like, what? What is this? How you gonna pay me the same thing? This this dude, he ain't he ain't been here but an hour. They they offended, right? 
so it is with the religious man. You mean to tell me I done been to church 365 days in a row? <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't been to the soup kitchen every Saturday. <laughs> and the the drunk that got delivered, got saved yesterday is just as righteous as I am. <clears throat> Get out of here. <laughs> That's offensive. Good. Yeah, it's offensive, yeah. But when we place credibility on our works in reference to our standing with God, then it opens up the door for that offense to be there. But if we truly understand the gift, that none of us deserve it, but we have it because of his goodness, then we are in a position where we can produce those, those the fruits of righteousness that the scripture talks about, fruits of righteousness where they can see the behavior line up with God's standard, but it's done out of a motivation of love instead of obligation or fear. Let me pull some points from our outline here. Point three, I'm going to jump down to point three. It says, the reason why the non-religious have become accepted by God and the religious remain rejected is because the non-religious sought righteousness by faith in God's grace and the religious sought it by faith in their own holy actions. All right, reading verse 9, verse 20, verse 32 in chapter in Romans 9 here again, it says, wherefore, why, why is this true? How could this be, right, that we're wherefore? Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. All right. When the heathen heard the gospel, that salvation was a gift, and they they didn't have to earn it. They embraced it, right? those who were open to it. Right? To them, it was very beneficial because they hadn't been living a proper life, and they knew it. Right? Now, the religious person rejected Jesus for basically the same reasons. The gospel told them it wasn't their goodness that earned them relationship with God, but rather believing on Jesus and receiving salvation as a gift. Religious pride won't let them receive a free gift like that. Next point. The exact same thing happens all around the world, all around the world today. For people who are putting their faith in their actions instead of receiving salvation as a gift, it's offensive to hear the gospel preached. For people who are trusting in themselves, it's upsetting to listen to somebody say that someone 
could not be living as holy as they are, but receives from God better because they're putting faith in a savior instead of earning it. Good people trusting in their own holiness are the most difficult to reach with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. All right, let me stop at that point. Do you believe that? Do you think that's true? Yeah, it's true. Well, I, I think it's true in the sense that by words, by by receiving it by word, and that's why the I think we were reading in those passages of scripture a little earlier, the Jews require a sign. And when it goes on to say Greeks he got wisdom. Whereas it's so difficult for them to receive it, they need a sign, meaning uh, a sign, a gift, one you know, you know, a demonstration of the spirit, you know, something to really jar them. And to add to what Kevin is saying, you know, it's you know, I've experienced a lot of people in. You know, they'll show you a scripture, you know, to verify what they're saying, you know, but mm -mm. what it is, is they're, they're taking the scripture out of context, mm -hmm. but you can forward show them 40 scriptures where we just talked about then what you just read. I guess we read tonight about maybe, you know, eight to 10 scriptures where it tells you, you can't be made right by your work. And they'll just ignore those scriptures and take you to the one that they focus on, the two that they focus on. And then once again, as Kevin um, talked about earlier, you know, you got to understand what covenant we were under. That may be true under the old covenant. It's true, but we're under, under grace and under grace, this is what it is. So, but once again, they're just stuck under the old covenant and they're basing their their truths based on the old covenant as Hebrews is obsolete and we don't use it anymore. But we, it says the covenant we have now has better promises. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. All right. Hold on. I thought the, thought the religious skeptic was good, was done, but he, he hit me up again. He he's jumping on something Eric said earlier. He was like, he's like, hold on. Now, what you mean when you said if the only way for me to be unrighteous is if Jesus is unrighteous? How you explain yeah. that? Because that's just who he is. He's righteous. He's made right. He's perfect. Never sinned, as the Bible said. It said he who knew not sin became sin for us. So you need to ask yourself a question, at what point does Jesus stop being righteous? Because what? If any man be in Christ, well, we in Christ, a new creature. So a new creature. So if at any point he stopped being righteous, then we stop. But he's always gonna be righteous. That's just who he is. And so when we get in him, we receive his righteousness. 
So his righteousness is everlasting, is eternal. So therefore, as long as he's righteous, I'm going to be righteous. That's not going to change. My position does not change. Yeah, so that lines up with um, what first what it says in First John, right? Like as as he is, so are we in this world. Right. Okay. All right. The religious skeptic is gone again. I got some more. I got some more man face emojis. We might not. We not. We not. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna see him for the rest of the year. Thank you. Guys. <laughs> He read too much Bible. Because <laughs> I do like, I like what we talked about the last lesson before we met. We was talking about being, you know, going, being in the spirit and going after spirit and then being in the flesh and going after the flesh. Yeah, that's I rich. think. That really, you know, sums that up, you know, as far as we can, we can be, you can be saved and go after the flesh, but you can never be in the flesh because your position never changes. But we got a lot of believers who go after the flesh. And then what did it say? It says this, he who sows to the flesh, reap the things of the flesh, and he who sows to the spirit shall reap the things of the spirit. That's good. I think that's that's something that we have to, you know, be able to see. And that's why having that revelation of spirit, soul, and body is so is so vital. It is, yeah. Understanding that I as a born-again believer, I'm in the spirit by virtue of my relation to Christ. <laughs> Me being a new creature. But if I don't renew my mind, then what is likely to happen? I'll walk after the flesh. Even though I'm in the spirit, I can walk after the flesh with an unrenewed mind. And the, the thing that makes it difficult is the more I'll walk after the flesh, the easier it is to stay there. But the good thing is, the opposite is true as well, right? Because the more you are in his presence, being renewed, having your mind renewed, then not to say that we're not going to have issues, but the ability to resist, the ability to continue to stand in the midst of adversity, continue it, it grows and develops because of their intimacy and relationship, our, our understanding of our righteousness. Now, when we talk about righteousness, do you think that this is a underestimated or undertaught aspect of our faith. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I didn't hear anything about this until I, I listened to Creflo Dollar. I'll be honest, I didn't hear it. Nobody never talked. I never. I was never talked about 
know, righteousness is being a gift. I always was said you obtain your righteousness by what you do. You know, by going to church, reading the Bible, you know, things of that nature. And so, but when I came across him, he was talking about righteousness being a gift. And I was like, okay, never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, scripture to back it up, but I always thought righteousness, you had to earn it. And then if you want righteous enough, you lost it. Well, the emphasis is always on you're the sinner. Right. It Even after you begin your relationship with Christ, you're the sinner. Exactly. You was always a sinner, no matter what. Yeah. You know, you, even though you say... Then you start... Then you just say, well, you know, it's who I am. So that's right. what, what I do. <laughs> exactly. And we don't, you, we just don't even realize who we are. Right. I mean, I grew up with the term, you know, you know, you're a sinner saved by grace. And so you, you, you never stop being a sinner. You was always a sinner because they equated you being a sinner as you sinning behavior. And so, right. so like you said, so if that's who I am, then I understand why I can't, you know, get over this particular behavior may have conquered some, but I can't get over this one because, well, I'm just a sinner, so I'm going to do the best I can, you know, in my own ability. And if I can't conquer this, then, well, you know, I just trust and hope God have mercy on me and hope keeping my fingers crossed that I, I did enough good deeds to get in heaven. And so, you know, you was like, okay, playing like Russian roulette. I hope I did. No, but I used to always hear people say, well, you know, I'm trying to make it in. And then, I'm, you know, yeah, I remember having that come. Somebody said that one time. And when I got a revelation of who I was in Christ, I said, well, no, I'm already in. And they was looking at me like, now how are you in? Because you still make mistakes. And, 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 and people could seem to be with that thought. Look at a person who, who was confident in Christ as maybe as being arrogant. Right. Yeah. Uh, when what you said, just it's not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus where Christians are and remain is just kind of not being taught enough to for some for the day, Christian day in and day out to have that confidence to just know it, you know, just like okay, I'm I'm already on the team and I ain't going to be off the team ever, you know, you know, and when you have that confidence, just like a, when you raise children, you know, if the children, not sh- a child's not sure that the parents love him, he grows up with, you know, all kinds of insecurities and fears and all, but when he knows his love, he knows even when he disobeys, he's like, I might get in a little bit of trouble, but man, my parents love me. He's going to grow up and be very confident and knowing and self-assured and, and be a leader and very usable in so many different ways, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of pastors are afraid. I think they're, they're afraid to teach this because, and I could use, I think it's undertaught because a lot of pastors think, well, if I teach my people this, then, they just gonna go out and behave any kind of way, you know. But when it's taught right, 
you know, and understand, then no, they're not. They're actually going to, you're going to see them, their behavior become better and better as they renew their mind and believe who they are. It's going to change. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I like how um, the example that Kevin gave, and you think about children, right? Your kids. Now, if they're your children, right? They were they were born from your seed. Whether they are aware or or how can I say it? The the level of interaction they have with you as a parent, the way they look at you as a parent, right? It's going to affect the relationship you have with the child, but does it change the fact that that's your child? No. No. Okay. So you, in being born again, once you're born again, then you are a part of God's family. But now, from that point on, the level of revelation, understanding you have of his love for you, your revelation of the gospel is going to open up the door for the fruits of righteousness to, to grow in varying degrees, 30, 60, 100 fold. And this is why the, the, the renewing of the mind is such a vital part of our life, our this, the, because that technically is discipleship, mm -hmm. is the renewing yes. of the mind. Not us just trying to get right, but understanding the, the who we have been made, how much we are loved, and what God desires for us to do, how to express his love on the on the earth in a unique way that he has equipped us for but that comes through what through relationship and and how do i flourish in that relationship it is by faith in what he did for me what he did for you Let me close out with this scripture here. This, let's go to Romans 10. Romans 10. Start at verse 1. And we're going to go down to verse 9. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. It reads like this. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. 
As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of his commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In verse 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So as we have thoroughly examined in the scripture, that righteousness is not based on what we do, but is based on who we know. It's based on our belief in the finished work of Christ Jesus. So if there's anybody listening who has, is not familiar, who does not, who is not yet in the family of God, understand that you have a savior that laid his life down for you. You can't earn your way to heaven. But if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ died for your sins and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we rejoiced in that gift. All right, social media family. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you later.